0: And some definitely will need a word of encouragement. Uh, But for the 1030 service, Brother Jerry, God's put in our heart a very specific message called Our Diagnosis, His Intervention. Our Diagnosis, His Intervention. And my heart is to preach evangelistically at 1030 to those that will be lost in the building. So I would ask church that you please help me pray that God would do the work that only He can do. And we'll be faithful and obedient to what he's put into our heart. But here's the truth, and I think this church, the level of spiritual maturity, especially amongst some of the brethren that are here, uh, you know that I can't save anybody. Let me say it again for the Baptist in the room. I can't save anybody. The Baptist church can't save anybody. There is no potentate. There is no religious activity or exercise, no candle lit, no bead rubbed on long enough that can save anyone. It is a work and a perfect work of the Holy Ghost. And so that's exactly what we'll ask for today, that God would save somebody in this room or that God would plant a seed so that later on down the road that God would give the increase and that they'd be saved. But this morning, my heart is for the church, And I'll preach this message with uh, this understanding. I believe that this message is very specific for someone in this room. Very specific for someone in this room. The pain of Patmos, the journey from Jerusalem. The pain of Patmos, the journey from Jerusalem. And this morning we're going to focus our attention to the faithful follower of Jesus Christ who is in a season of difficulty, or maybe even one who has a reality now in life that isn't what you expected. Maybe your reality in life is more painful than what you had hoped for it to be. And I believe with all my heart that someone here today or somebody even watching in the archive later on, that this is where you are, this is your life, this is your existence. It's painful, it's difficult, it's hard to understand why. And this message is intended to encourage you. It's intended to strengthen you. God wants to give you some nourishment from his word. And more than anything, God is encouraging his children today to press on, to keep going, not to quit, not to give up, not to quit believing, but keep going for the sake of God and what he's done in your life. And so we'll draw our attention to the book of Revelation. This is a testimony, the revelation of St. John, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this incredible revelation that was revealed to John the Beloved was revealed on an island called Patmos. Everybody say that word with me, Patmos, Patmos. We'll look at that in just a moment. But understand that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, he's writing this book because he has been exiled to Patmos. He is not there on his own free will. Rather, God has assigned him sovereignly to be on Patmos. The Roman government has arrested him, and they have sent him to Patmos as punishment for his continuous preaching of the gospel. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must surely, shortly, excuse me, come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy "...and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead." And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a salutation, what a greeting to a letter. Verse number eight. He gives us a portion of this vision. I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And in a moment, we'll pray and then we'll look into this. But I want you to take your pen or your highlighter and I want you to take that word Patmos. I want you to underline it and I want you to circle it. We're going to understand clearly what Patmos was, what Patmos is. We're going to look at the pain of Patmos but we're going to look back at the journey from Jerusalem. The pain of Patmos but the journey that came from Jerusalem. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, for just a few minutes, God, we need to dive into your word. And Lord, my heart this morning is what you put in my heart, God, to encourage the saints. Lord, for one heart that's broken, for one heart that's hurting. God, for one that's depressed or anxious, one that's sad or wondering or doubting. God, I pray that you'd use this incredible story. God, this truth from your word, Lord, to stir the saints. And God, to give us clear vision of how much you love us. And how much you care for us. And God, that no matter what we are living in, God, no matter what our experience is, we can look back on our Jerusalem and remember what you've done in our lives. May it be so even this day. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen and amen. That word Patmos there in verse number nine. This is the only place that I find in my Bible the word Patmos is ever mentioned Patmos is only mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 9. To the best of my ability, I can find it nowhere else in Bible. If you can find it, I'd love to see it, point it out to me. But here we are with our only mention of this word. And Patmos, you have to understand the the dynamics of this island. It's a sterile island. It's about 30 miles in circumference, It's in the Aegean Sea. And to this day, you can travel to Patmos, but it's called Patino or Patimo or Patmosa. It's off the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. It's there to this day. But Patmos was no port of rest in the days of this writing. It was a place of great consequence. Patmos literally means My killing. Patmos literally means my killing. And because it was a sterile land, it means that it was unable to produce life. You would not find delicious banana groves on Patmos. You would not find coconut trees. You would not find pineapple. You wouldn't find anything that would give any sort of nutritional value growing on its land. It was sterile. There was no seed. There was no fruit. There was no life. It was infertile land. It was void of living things other than the inhabitants that had been exiled to live there. There was no sustainable plant life. There was nothing producing, nothing bearing seed, nothing bearing fruit. It also means a place of lacking, lacking inspiration, lacking in vitality. To be on Patmos is to be in a land that is fruitless. Patmos is a place that is void of color. There is no song on Patmos. There is no joy in Patmos. Comfort is not a reality while in Patmos. Peace isn't found on the shores of this tiny rocky island. And to find rest, to find peace... To find a respite in a place like Patmos, it would only be within a rocky cave where solitude, being by yourself in that desolation, eats at the humanity of who we are. There is no joy. There is no peace. It is a colorless, lifeless place of desolation known to them as my killing. Patmos is a picture of separation from God. Patmos is a picture of a stay on the presence of God. But from this horrid, terrible place called Patmos, God would give John the Beloved a divine, supernatural experience above anything of this world to look clearly into the revelation of Jesus Christ and write a letter to these seven churches, and then through divine, holy inspiration, This experience, this revelation would be canonized into holy text, into our Bible for us to get a glimpse through these pages into what John saw. I've heard liberal scholars for the last three years try to poke holes in the book of Revelation saying that it should have never been canonized. It was some madman's wild dream that maybe John was on hallucinogenics or maybe that John wasn't thinking right or maybe he was dehydrated from drinking seawater and he had some crazy dream and some crazy out-of-body experience and just happened to have parchment and ink enough to write out what he saw, and that it should have never been included in our Bible. I submit to you that is pure heresy straight from the pits of hell. Revelation is just as much the Word of God as Genesis is the Word of God. It is all there for our benefit and for our growth in Jesus Christ. But Patmos is significant, this place where John is, where God chooses to bring about the revelation. Patmos is significant only because of its insignificance. Patmos is another example of what we find in the writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is verse 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence and it might seem to us that God should have chosen of great place of glory and splendor for the revelation of Jesus Christ To be revealed. It might even be more believable that this revelation came from the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane or on top of Mount Moriah or in the very depths of the Dead Sea. There are so many other places we can think of that might have been more picturesque for us to receive this revelation through John. But God chose this barren, rocky, desolate island prison to be the place where He gave John the revelation. And through John gives us this revelation. Understand that this was a dangerous place. Patmos was this island prison used by the Roman government as a place of banishment for criminals. This is uh, solitary confinement. This is death row all in one, a terrible place to be sent. And convicts were allowed relative freedom. They were allowed to roam and fight and fend for themselves on this small island. And many people that were on that island did not live long. These convicts would kill one another just to have one's water or one's food. And many died of exposure, lack of water, lack of resources. There were violent attacks by these other Convicts, and history even tells us that many of those that had been exiled to Patmos starved to death with no nourishment. Yet, in God's perfect plan, in His perfect will, this is where John the Beloved has been sent. And it begins to make us wonder and question how could it be that John the Beloved would wind up here in Patmos? Or, or better yet, why would God want John? to be in Patmos? Why would God choose to send this beloved disciple to such a terrible, horrible place? And I think it's important for us to remember just who it is we're talking about when we say John the Beloved. And I want you to think back with me now to who John really is. Let's trace his steps backward. Let's take a quick journey to Jerusalem. John the Beloved had followed Jesus... John had taught of Jesus. He had preached of Jesus. He had been faithful to Jesus. He was family to Jesus. These men, Jesus and John, were first cousins. The Gospel of John gives us insight on their relationship. In John 13, we're at the Passover meal, the Last Supper. The 23rd verse of John 13, it'll be on your screen, it says this, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And this is a picture of John's love for Jesus and Jesus' love for John. And while Jesus is on the cross dying, this is John 19 26. And when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And from the cross, Jesus says to his mother, Behold, your son, and then he looks at John, the disciple whom he loved in verse 27, and then he saith to the disciple, behold thy mother, behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her unto his own home. Jesus trusted John enough. He knew that he was getting ready to give up the ghost and that Mary would need a consoler and a comforter that there would be a season where the Holy Ghost would not come. Think of that. After Jesus has died and gone into the grave, there is a period of time where the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, has not come. And he knew that his mother would need comfort and attention and care. And so Jesus selected the only disciple mentioned that John the Beloved would take care of his mother. Imagine being the Son of God and having enough trust and enough love to entrust your mother... Your mother, with a man standing beside her as you hang on the cross. Jesus appears again to his disciples. This is after his resurrection. And Jesus asks from the shore of the Sea of Galilee, as our disciples are fishing, He says, Children, do you have any meat? They answer, No, we have been fishing all night and we have no meat. And Jesus tells them to cast the net off the right side and to see what their nets would bring in. But if you go to John 21, you go to the 7th verse, look who it is that recognizes that the man calling from the shore of the Sea of Galilee is Jesus. John 21, verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Jesus yells out from the shore. The other disciples don't even recognize, don't even acknowledge that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But John the beloved, this disciple, this great apostle, he knows Jesus so well that even from that distance he could tell that's the gate That's the posture, that's the face, that's the silhouette of my Savior. And he has to tell Peter that that's the Lord whom we serve. John knew him, John recognized his voice, John saw the way he was standing, and he said, that's him, that's Jesus on the shore. John made the connection when the other disciples did not. Yet John was on Patmos, the island of my killing, The island of my death, of desolation, of malnourishment, of no hope, of darkness. And Patmos is more than just a bad, tough place. It's an execution of dreams. It's a place of shattered hopes and happiness. And really, if you think about what John is experiencing, he is confined to the elements of torture. But this was John's reality. The pain of Patmos. But it was not John's only perspective. You see, John might have been on Patmos, but while John is on Patmos, while John is in the pressure cooker, while John is in the pain, while John is in the doubt of his life, going through all the things that he's going through, all the human processes that we have to go through in experiences like this, John had something to look back on. John had something to remember. And that was the journey from Jerusalem that got him to where he was in Patmos. The pain of Patmos, the torment of Patmos did not nullify the glory of the things that John had seen while in Jerusalem. Just because he's in the dark, just because he's hurting, just because he's doubting, just because of all the things he's going through are happening to him, it does not nullify the fact that John laid on the bosom of Jesus and it does not nullify the fact that John was able to recognize that that was Jesus standing on the shore. It does not nullify that Jesus loved John and that Jesus even selected John to be the caretaker of his mother. It had nothing to do. It did not nullify how much Jesus loved John nor how much John loved Jesus. Yet he is on Patmos. But he still had Jerusalem. He still had Jerusalem. Think of all the things that John the, Baptist, excuse me, John the Beloved saw that aren't even recorded in Scripture. All of the meals, all of the miracles, all of the moments that John the Beloved had with Jesus that we have no access to at this point, and yet he's on Patmos. And there are some people sitting in this room There are some people watching online, and you have been faithful to serve the Lord the best you know how. You've followed him. You've been obedient to his word. You've tried your best. Have you been perfect? No. But have you wanted to live for God? Have you tried the best and strive for Jesus every day to the best of your ability? Some of you can answer yes, yet you're on Patmos. And it's not what you expected it to be. You expected that you would be faithful and that you and your spouse would enjoy those days together. You expected that you would be faithful, and yes, there would be hard days, but that you would have your health intact until you're uh, really old and in up in age. And yet, that's not the reality. And child of God, you have to understand, you have to remember that even when you're in Patmos, the place of desolation, the place of killing, the place of pain, the place of emotional torture, that it does not nullify what God has done in your life. It does not nullify the moments where God has intervened in your life. It does not nullify anything God has ever shown you in his word. The the, the absolute opposite is true. Those things become more precious while on Patmos. You cannot live in the the, the joy of yesterday and expect there to be enough for tomorrow unless you think upon the things that God has done in your life. And John may have no food and John may have no water and John may have no friends and John may be constantly attacked, but praise God, John has Jerusalem. I remember what he smells like. I remember what he looks like. I remember seeing the leper healed and the blind calls to see again. I can remember what it was to be in Jerusalem. And some of you are in this Patmos, this place of desolation, and you've forgotten, you can't remember, you're hurting too bad to think straight what all God's done in the past it hurts too bad, your, your heart's too chugged up, you're shackled by everything around you, your reality, to remember just how precious Jerusalem really was. And this morning, some Christians in this room, some that love the Lord and who desperately want to be in his presence, are operating on the principle of who God is and not in the glory and the emotion and the splendor of standing in Jerusalem. You're on an island of desolation. But I want you to notice in verse number 10, we'll go down into this verse. I want you to notice John's posture while in Patmos. And for us, I think there is something that we can all learn because if you live long enough, days that feel like Patmos will come. All the folks with gray hair, you can do like this with your head. There will be days that will come that feel like Patmos, days that meet the profile of desolation, of pain, of heartache, and of trouble. Those days are part of the human experience while on this earth, but it does not change the power It does not change the presence and it does not change the preeminence of the God who got you there in the first place. How could it be that John would even be thinking or considering the things of God to prepare his heart to even receive the revelation from Jesus Christ? Verse number 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. John's on Patmos in the place of his killing. John is in a place of desolation. There is nothing to rejoice in. Yet the Bible says, John's testimony was, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And when you're on Patmos, you must remember to worship him. You must remember to worship him even while on Patmos God is still due honor and praise and glory coming from your mouth. I'm on Patmos, John says, because of my testimony. John had every right in his humanity to be angry with his situation. Think about it. He's on Patmos because of his testimony of Jesus. On Patmos because of his relationship with Jesus. On Patmos because of Jesus. But he's on Patmos for the glory of Jesus Christ. And he's in the sovereign, perfect will of God for his life while in the place of his killing. And he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I'm in despair, I'm in ruin, I'm in desolation, I'm in isolation, yet while on Patmos, I will praise him. Let me say it again, yet while on Patmos, I will praise him. Charles Spurgeon gives a great image of being in the dirt, being in the dust, being to the lowest place of your life where your face is pressed into the dirt by something heavy and weighty on top of your head. And that that would be the place, that would be the best location for the child of God to learn to worship the Lord. While your face is in the mud, while your face is in the dirt, and there's something weighty or heavy on top of you crushing the existence of who you are. That is the place in the dirt and in the dust to learn to worship God. And child of God, maybe you have learned that process because of what life has become, because of poor health, because of death in your home, because of hopes and dreams and realities that have been shattered, and you've been doing your best to praise God while you're in the dirt, and this morning, God's just wanting to remind you to keep going, keep praising God, keep worshiping him, even while you're on Patmos, because at the end of the day, John knew something that we all need to know, and that is John's life is not about John. Boy, let me say it again. I like that repeat button I'm learning. Let me say it again. John's life is not about John. John's life is about the glory of Jesus Christ, about God receiving honor and glory and praise for every existence he experiences, even that of Patmos. He's learning to worship in the worst situation, in the worst conditions. I will praise him. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day from Patmos. If you can ever learn to be in the spirit on the Lord's day, even in Patmos, there's something special that the enemy cannot take from you. Listen to me now. For those hard days that come, If you learn, if your knee-jerk reaction, if you will, if your second-hand nature is to praise God in the pain, there is something that the enemy cannot strip from you. There is something that the enemy cannot take away. I may be hurting, I may be doubting, I may be afraid, but God is God and he's in charge and I will praise him while I'm on Patmos. The enemy cannot take that from your hands. He cannot rip it away from your heart. Praise him while you're on Patmos, even in the pain of your life. The truth is you cannot be in the spirit. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. But you cannot be in the spirit without authentic worship. Say those two words with me, authentic worship. Say it again, authentic worship. I really want you to hear this. You cannot be in the spirit. You cannot worship without it being authentic worship. And worship is not music. Worship is not the choir singing. Worship is not the color of your hymnal. Worship is not the guitar and the drum. All of those things are wonderful, and yes, they can lead us into worship and be a part of our worship, but the greatest uh, act of worship, authentic worship, is that no matter where I am, no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter how painful or how bad it hurts, I will praise Him because of the authenticity of God's sovereignty, You can worship when you learn to worship the providence of God in your life. God, I worship you because you have sovereignly assigned me to be on Patmos. Help me to give you all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for what I go through, amen. That is authentic worship. When we see people come into this room with heavy hearts and broken hearts and shattered dreams and expectations that fell apart, Someone who's bereaved that comes in missing their spouse, their husband, or their precious wife who's gone on to heaven. And they come and they sit in a blue chair. And they worship by raising a hand, acknowledging the providence and the sovereignty of their God. That is authentic worship. It's exactly what John the Beloved is doing. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Notice what it says in the last part of that verse, verse number 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, if you'll do your part to be faithful. And if you'll do your part to worship while you're hurting, while you're waiting, and while you're on Patmos, then God guarantees that he inhabits the praises of his people. And he can't help but be faithful and true to his word. And if while your heart is hurting, you can raise a hand and say, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you are. And if while your heart is being crushed, you can say, Lord, you've been good to me, you can be guaranteed as a child of God that God will respond to the prayer God will respond to the worship and he will be in your presence notice he said that there was a voice that came from behind what does that mean that means that John was looking Patmos dead on and that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day worshiping God beholding the reality of what Patmos was He's not hiding out in a cave saying, God, come and get me. No, no, no. He's standing on the top of the ridge looking out over that island of desolation saying, God, you've been so good to me. God, you've been faithful. I remember what it was to be in your presence in Jerusalem. But here I am in Patmos and you're still good. And behold from behind, I am Alpha. I am Omega. And God met with John on Patmos. Praise God. He will hang you out to dry and leave you. God will meet with his people. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. He'll come to you. Boy, howdy. Praise God. That's good preaching. God will come to your Patmos. The devil will crush your guts he'll strip you of all your dignity and he'll strip you of all the things you worked all those years so long and hard for and your children give up on God and they go out into the world and you're on But if you'll just keep worshiping God right where you are, he'll come to you and he will worship with you. Praise the Lord. I know It hurts. I know it's not fair. I know it's hard. I know you cry every day. I know you're down. I know you're depressed. But God will meet with his children even when they're on Patmos. Look up. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh even when on Patmos. John couldn't forget what he'd seen. Imagine breaking bread with the Son of God. He knows what he looks like. He knows what Jesus prefers to have at dinner. He's supposed to be on the inner circle of the kingdom. He's supposed to have access that nobody else has access to. He's been faithful. He's not given up. He didn't do what Peter did, he didn't deny him. He's just been faithful, and yet he's on Papas. John's old patmos. God never stopped being faithful to him. Who was this voice? Who was the voice? Only one person can make that claim. I am Alpha. I am Omega. I am Alpha. I am Omega. The first and the last. I was with you, John, before I made worlds. I was with you, John, the day that your mama brought you into the world. I was with you, John, the day that Jesus called your name and made you a disciple. And, John, I'll be faithful to be with you to the very, very end. Praise God, child of God. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult the day may be, God is going to see you all the way from the beginning to the very end. Patmos is not the end of the story. Let me say it again for the safe people in the room. Patmos is not the end of the story. Patmos is the vapor. Patmos is the moment. Patmos is the pain. But there is a promise coming. There's a promise coming. You flip in your Bible just a few more chapters and you'll find a place where John got to see what was coming. What was on the way? And he shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt. I know you're on Patmos, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your heart guarded in his word. And hold on, child of God. It's coming soon, our Lord is. He's coming soon, our Lord is. And Patmos will be over. There is coming a day. There is coming a day. There is coming a day. You don't know when it is. It could be before we get done preaching today, it could be before you get home. That day, glorious day that it will be. Just hold on a little longer, keep fighting the good fight. Keep the faith that he gave you in the first place. Don't give up. Don't roll over. Don't play dead. I know you're in Patmos, but remember, remember the journey from Jerusalem. You see, when Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, this expresses God's fullness towards John. God's comprehensiveness for John and God's all-inclusiveness with John. John wasn't by himself. And what this does for John is in his fullness, in Christ's fullness in your life, in his comprehensiveness, he knows everything about you. In his all inclusive glory that he has allowed you to glimpse into even today, that you can live through the desolation, you can live through the trial, the tragedy, the darkness, the pain, and the isolation of Patmos, but you don't have to do it afraid. Imagine what it was for John to be in this place and to hear the voice, to feel his presence. Think of it. You're in the midnight hour. It's so dark. It hurts so bad. You feel like you can't breathe. And then all of a sudden, he shows up. He shows up. And he just whispers. He brings up a verse, he brings to your heart a song. And the Holy Ghost just gets in the bed with you. And you hadn't felt Him all day. And you felt like every prayer to get off Patmos hit a brass ceiling above your head and hit you in the forehead. And maybe it's not that God wants to take you off Patmos just yet, but maybe He wants to get to know you a little better. Maybe He wants you to depend on Him just a little bit more. Learn to trust him each and every day, even when you don't have water or food to drink. Just trust him. And then from that moment of trust, that that next leap of faith, John could experience Patmos with all confidence, with all victory, and with all hope. Not because of what he was capable of doing, but because of what Christ was going to do and already had done for him. And some of you are looking today for something to have victory in. Can someone come to the piano and help us? You're looking for something today to have some hope in. How do I know it's going to be okay? How can I boast a victory while on Patmos? The truth is, child of God, within yourself, you may not be able to. But you see, Jerusalem had already happened John is on Patmos after the cross. Don't lose this. John is on Patmos after the cross. Can we all agree with that? Yes. So because he's living in a post-cross dispensation, John is living with the victory just like you are today. By faith and not by sight for the victory that's already been won. And John's looking around him and he's going, what victory, what splendor, what spoil? I find none. But we can be absolutely sure that there was victory because of what Jesus had accomplished. And while you're on Patmos, you may just have to thank God, praise God, and find hope, confidence, and victory in him completely. There may be nothing else in your life to look at and say, boy, it's good. But it doesn't nullify the victory that's been imparted to you as a child of God. The pain on Patmos is real. But go back on that journey to Jerusalem and realize it was just as real. Maybe you need to remember what God's done in your life hard to remember hard to think right I believe this with all my heart that the devil gives God's children spiritual amnesia you'll be on Patmos acting like God's dead that he doesn't move that he doesn't work no more and you can't even remember that eight months ago you were on the same island in the same desolation and God got you through he pulled you out Some of you just need to remember what it is to be saved. And go back to the night, go back to the place where God opened up your eyes and he gloriously saved you. Pain on Patmos, but the journey from Jerusalem. Lord, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord our desire is even while in Patmos and the pain and the desolation of what life can be while on this earth that God your children would look to the new Jerusalem that's coming and that Lord we'd never get over what you'd done God that we'd never get over how good you've been and Lord our heart's desire this morning is to worship you while on Patmos remembering all that you did in Jerusalem Thank you for our church. Thank you for this day. Bless us now. We need you in a most desperate way. Move, lead, guide, and direct. In Jesus' name we pray. How many today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, right before we dismiss, I just want to know how to pray for you. How many would say, Pastor, if I had to be completely honest, I'm in a Patmos in my life. I'm in a difficult place and I need prayer. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Would you just raise your hand all over the building? Those that need some prayer help, I just want to know how to pray. God bless you. Dozens and dozens of hands all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the back. God bless you, sir. So many hands. Now, Lord, you've seen the hands. You know the hearts. You know the situations. Lord, I want you to do for each individual what only you can do. Lord, that while we're waiting, God, while we're looking, while we're searching for that final glorious day of rescue, Lord, that we will choose to worship, that we will choose to remember, and that we will choose to follow you all the days of our life. Encourage my brothers and sisters that raise their hand. Give them what they need. Give them grace to get through the next day. It again for the rest of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for being attentive. Thank you for being in your place this morning. What a wonderful 8 a.m. crowd. I appreciate you being faithful to God's house. Every opportunity that you have, this is a plea from my heart, especially over the next few months. Hear the words coming out of my mouth. You do not want to miss a single service at Trinity Baptist Church. God is doing some great things. Homecoming, October the 1st, September the 29th, is gonna be a special, September the 30th, excuse me, gonna be a special time together. You don't wanna miss any of what the Lord's doing. Be faithful to be in church. I'd ask that you pray for me, Pastor Ralph, uh, Brother Andrew, the church group that's going from here, We're going to Israel next week. We'll be gone for a 10-day tour and study of the Holy Land. 149 people from all over the United States who have signed up and who are ready to go study the Word of God. You pray for travel mercies. Please pray that God will keep us safe. A group that size its three buses of people. Just be praying for every mile over there, every kilometer that we travel and ask God to bless that time I have seen God change many lives standing in the Holy Land reading the Word of God Uh, one in particular that comes to mind is a lady sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane who went to Israel an agnostic and came back born again a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ the Holy Ghost got a hold of her in the Garden of Gethsemane and she was either going to break right then or there or split hell wide open so God saved her and uh that, that, that trip is not a vacation. It is a pilgrimage, many miles, long days. And uh, if you've been, you know. But we're looking forward to being together, studying the Word of God. Please pray for us, and we'll pray for you. I will not be here next Lord's Day. Pastor Nathan Hawkins will have the football. He will be preaching. Please be in your place. Pray for him. Be in attendance. Encourage him. No doubt he is already studying and preparing to preach something from God's Word. He's God's man, and I know that he'll be a blessing to you. So please be praying for Pastor Nathan. Good afternoon. God bless you. Sunday school's in just a few minutes. And then our 911 Sundays at 10.30.